bottom is going to turn to Psalm 19. psalm reveals the blessed way which is god's law and his word looked at all of the terminology that david uses to uh, speak of god's words you can see it throughout the psalm god's law his testimonies his ways his precepts his statutes his commandments his judgments And what a wonderful thing that God has given us his word and that he's given us prayer. And uh, I think we have many, many examples uh, in this psalm of prayers that we could pray. And uh, what I mentioned, uh, Devin referenced in his testimony tonight was, uh, I believe it was Philip Henry uh, who was giving instruction to his son about uh, to his family about this psalm and said, yes, you can make it through the psalm twice in a year if you just take one prayer a day. And as you meditate and pray to the Lord, there's so many good prayers. And the title uh, tonight, was the we just barely got into this last week, is Prayers Pursuing Godliness. Prayers Pursuing Godliness. Really, you could say that this whole psalm is, in one sense, Prayers Pursuing Godliness, but in this section, there is significant testimony to David's desire to grow in his walk with the Lord. As I mentioned in our just kind of introduction to this passage last week, David recognizes that God's word is good. He does take delight in God's law. He longs to keep it with all of his heart but he's also aware of his need for knowledge and for understanding. He recognizes his own tendency to fail and falter. He knows that he is inclined toward darkness and evil. He's aware based upon his prayers for revival that he lacks vitality at times and strength. He fears failing and bringing shame upon himself and upon the Lord. He's also aware that God in his righteousness can help him and sanctify him. And he wants the word of God to produce the fear of God in his life. And so what does he do? He prays. Now, it's not that he doesn't interact with the word, but he does pray. And that's what we find filling this uh, stanza or this section. Look at verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to gain or dishonest gain. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. 
Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. Turn away my reproach, which I dread, for your ordinances are good. Verse 40, behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. As David begins in this section, verse 33, every single one of these verses begins with that letter at the top, hey. Um, Teach me, give me, make me, incline my heart. He's praying to God humbly for instruction. And along with his prayer, he has resolutions. And you can say throughout the psalm, he gives resolutions. The first one we looked at was in verse 33, that when God teaches him his way, he will observe it to the end. This is a godly prayer. It's a practical prayer. There's a pursuit here of knowledge, but not knowledge for knowledge's sake alone. It's knowledge in order to practice, because he says, and I shall observe it to the end. And then that resolution, as he expresses it, to the end, what is the end? Well, the end is the final glorification of a believer when we become like God. However, David understood that. He knew, based on other psalms, that he would obtain God's likeness. But that likeness is growing in the course of our Christian life. If you know the Lord as your Savior and you have trusted in him and you've been justified, you've been declared righteous, but you're not righteous in all your actions. You're not righteous in all your attitudes. You're not righteous in all your thoughts. And so God is working, and he's working in us. And he may have saved you, as we heard testimony tonight, a long time ago, but he's still at work to complete us, to perfect us, to change us. And in the end, praise the Lord, as Jesus said in Revelation, he who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, what's the promise? The promise is glory. What kind of glory? Well, the promise he gives in Revelation 2 is to him I will give authority over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken pieces. And he says, as I also have received authority from my father, we will reign with Christ. And then he says, and I will give him the morning star. The glory of fellowship with Christ reigning Reigning, I don't know that we fully grasp what that means. When Jesus told the disciples that they would sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel, did they really understand what that meant? Do we really, even though it's revealed to us in God's word, do we really understand everything about heaven? No, we understand that God has given us a knowledge of it, but what a glory awaits us. And so to pursue the path that we're on. I tried to encourage all of us, and I want to encourage you again tonight to stick to the path, to keep on following. Don't give up. Don't quit. Things can get discouraging at times. Sometimes we need wisdom to make it through the circumstance that we find ourselves in life. Sometimes that circumstance is of our own doing. Sometimes the Lord just puts us in a circumstance, and it's a test. And we need help. And so teach me, O Lord, is the right attitude. But beyond teach me, 
give me, verse 34, understanding. This is a petition for light or knowledge. His first prayer was for instruction. This is for light, the idea of understanding, truly knowing, not just head knowledge, but actual practical knowledge, so that, again, notice his emphasis in these two verses, that he might observe God's law, that he might do it. And how does he want to do it? He doesn't want to do it half-heartedly. He wants to do it with a whole heart. So there's an earnest prayer here. I think you can see within this psalm, even this earnestness in David's life as he prays multiple times for understanding. Give me understanding. He had said in verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts. And again, in verse 73, at the end of the verse, give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. And then again, in 169, let my cry come before you, O Lord, give me understanding according to your word. Now, David's not a fool, and he's no dummy. He's got intelligence. But when it comes to the knowledge of God and his ways and his word and how to live that out in his life, he's asking for understanding. And it just gives us a challenge, doesn't it, to pray that same thing for ourselves. When you come to God's word, do you pray for understanding? Do we realize that we, apart from God's help, can walk in ways that are foolish and sinful? and harmful to ourselves and others. Proverbs 28, 26, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. Where do we get the wisdom? We get it from the Lord. The Lord gives wisdom, the proverb says. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. So David here is earnest. This is one instance of multiple instances in this psalm where he's saying, give me understanding. He desires that understanding. God can give it. He's asking the right source. He's not looking to himself or to others. And then when he gets it, he wants to keep it with all of his heart. All of his heart. And I don't know about you, but when I, even when I come to understand something about God's word, it's another thing to actually do it. It's another thing to actually live it out. So there's a longing prayer. And we know that what David is asking for here is consistent with God's commandments and God's expectation because we know the greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. We also find in God's word not only that commandment, but the rebuke when it is not there. What does Jesus draw attention to? Those who draw near to him with their words and honor him with their lips, but their heart is far from him and their reverence towards him consists of tradition learned by rote or ritual. That is hypocrisy. That 
is sin. So to pray that God would give understanding so that he could keep it with all of his heart is really a godly prayer, and it's something that we can pray. Do you ever pray that? Lord, give me understanding. Help me to observe your word with all my heart, not a divided heart. Do you long to be wholehearted in your life? To give yourself in whatever you're doing with all your might when you serve the Lord, as you serve the Lord, as you seek the Lord. And then if you do, do you ever pray about it? Just something that you long for. When you see the heart divided, as oftentimes it is, do you look to the Lord and ask him to change you and make you more like Christ who pursued God's will, who delighted in God's will? Spurgeon said, there is no power, no passion, there's no motive, no principle, which not, does not become vitiated when once the heart is diseased. Hence it is that Satan, who is always crafty, endeavors to strike at the heart. He will give you the hand, if you please, you may be honest. He will give you the eye, if you please, you shall be outwardly chaste. He will give you the foot, if you please, you shall appear to run in the way of righteousness. Only let him keep the heart. Only let him rule in the citadel, and he will be well content to give up all the rest. Why? Because out of the heart, Solomon said, are the issues of life. It's out of the heart that we act. It's out of the heart that we do what we do. So when he says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of the issues of life, do you have power to do that? I mean, the command comes to you and me, keep your heart with all diligence, but do you have the ability to do that? I need the Lord's help. The reality is we all do. And we can look to him in prayer and he will hear our prayers. This is a prayer for obedience to God's law and for someone to say, Lord, I want to keep your word. I want to walk with you. I want to do it with all my heart. That delights the Lord. And it really shows our dependence upon the Lord. This isn't in us. It's not in us to do all that we ought to do. It's God's grace working in us. Of course, we praise the Lord for the spirit of God who enables us, who strengthens us. And this is really, again, a life of dependence. Notice what he says in verse 35. He says, make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Make me walk. This is a confession of weakness. Not only does he need understanding, but he says, make me walk. Our ignorance is added to, rather, our, our, our yes, our ignorance is added to uh, by impotence. We don't have the ability to do God's will, even if we delight in it. The words that are translated here, make me to walk, are literally make me tread heavy steps, step by step. The word tread there to cause your, uh, to put your foot down, to place your foot one after another on the path that God has chosen. David is asking God, make him walk. Give him strength to actually take those steps, step by step. And David 
testified in 2 Samuel chapter 22 that God did in his life give him strength. He confessed that the Lord was his strength. He said, God is my strong fortress. He sets the blameless in his way. He makes my feet like hinds feet and sets me on my high places. You know, the Christian life is a difficult path. When you try to live the Christian life, it is not easy. This is a reminder for us that we need not only God's instruction, we need his power. I was watching recently dramatized biography of Sir Edmund Hillary. I had seen it before and uh, just an interesting story. Wanted to see it again. This is the first, along with a Sherpa by the name of Tenzing Norgay to climb Mount Everest. There are all kinds of challenges that he faced along the way just to get up to the summit. Tried and failed, tried again. They needed oxygen for the higher altitudes. They needed equipment to be able to check the ice for crevices. There was a scene where he actually falls through a crevice and Tenzing saves him, saves his life. But in addition to those things, their boots could freeze if they took them off and left them off overnight and they were wet with sweat. And that would make it difficult for them to go. They could get sick, they could get fatigued. And that's just climbing Everest, right? In other words, that was a part of his life. He did other things. As I observed the biography of uh, Sir Edmund Hillary, one of the major tests that he had in his life was his wife and his daughter were killed in a plane crash as he was trying to build a hospital in that area of the world. And he went into deep depression. I don't really know his circumstances in terms of his life, but you think about the trials that someone goes through in life. Just think about the situation I mentioned a few minutes ago where in the span of less than a week, you learn that your dad died, your sister died. Your wife falls and breaks her nose. This is a Christian man who has been through other things too, trying to live the Christian life. What happens when all of that comes upon you? You talk to Job for a while. What happened, Job? What was your life like? Look at David's life. We think of David as the one who defeated Goliath, and rightly so, went into Saul's service. But then as he served Saul, the king grew jealous of him and then began to seek to harm him without his knowledge. And then eventually David is on the run. This is his life. This is his life as he lives before the Lord, seeking the Lord. We have many of the Psalms that give testimony to the difficulties that David found himself through life. And to, to navigate that difficulty and to do what is right in that circumstance, in each of those circumstances, can you do that without the Lord? I don't know how people do it without the Lord. But David here asks, make me to walk in the path of your commandments. If you want to make it through your life as a Christian, being obedient to God, you need his strength. You need his wisdom. 
I would also say, and I think this is appropriate to say based upon the teaching of the New Testament, you need God's people. There is encouragement and consolation and comfort in fellowshipping with other Christians. You need that. If you are trying to go it alone, maybe you have something that you're dealing with and you're just trying to go it alone, that is not wise. You'll get much help if you just look to the Lord and you pray to the Lord and seek the Lord through his word and through prayer. And praise the Lord, he gives us people within the context of the church that can encourage us and help us, even if it's just prayer. We might talk to a fellow Christian and they've never been what we're going through, but just the fact that someone else knows and is praying for me, that in and of itself can be a great encouragement. I just want to encourage you not only to look to others for that encouragement, but also be someone who can encourage others. You really never know what people are going through. Never know. So pray for God's help. Make me to walk in the path of your commandments. And here's the evidence that he does know the Lord. He says, I delight in it. He had said back in verse 16, I shall delight in your statutes. Now he's saying, I do delight in it. I do delight in doing God's will. And so because I delight in it, Lord, make me to walk in that path. This is the path, of course, of Christ who said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That was Christ's delight and what satisfied him. He said, of course, this is placed in Hebrews in the mouth of the Messiah. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart and the blessing pronounced by Psalm 112 Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. So do you delight in God's commandments? You want to walk in that path? You find yourself weak and you need the Lord's strength? Tell the Lord, Lord, I delight in your word. Make me to walk in that way. Help me to walk in that way. Prayer is a part of that. You remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 7? He said, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, right? What is that law? It's the law of sin. It's the reality of indwelling sin that we deal with day in and day out. And because of the law of sin, indwelling sin, even when God has redeemed me and I delight in his law, I don't find myself doing what I want to do. And I do the things I don't want to do. Paul says there's a war going on in his heart. He says, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. But Paul said, even in light of that struggle, even in light of the difficulty, light of the war within, he wasn't going to give up. He knew there was someone who could deliver him. And he said it. He said, wretched man that I am, yes. But then he said, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind and serving the law of God, but on the other with the flesh, the law of sin. Though that struggle is taking place, Jesus Christ is truly a savior. 
in every sense of the word. He saves us from our sin and not just from the penalty of our sin, but from the practice of our sin. We need to look to him. We need to look to his word. So it'll give us strength and direction when we're tempted. Turn over or take a look at verse 36. He's praying for power. Verse 35, he's confessing his delight in God's law. Verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. He's petitioning God now for a godly disposition of heart. Lord, change my heart. The natural inclination of David's heart, like all of us, is towards sin. In this verse, the specific focus is dishonest gain. The idea of covetousness. He's asking the Lord to incline his heart towards God's testimonies to do what God has said instead of his natural inclination to pursue gain. You could put it this way, dispose my heart to your testimonies and not covetousness. Bend my heart to your testimonies. Keep me focused on the right thing, not wealth, not gain. Do you know the inclination of your own heart? Do you know what direction your heart would go apart from God? Do you see the law of sin in your members? Does it ever pursue what he's talking about here, dishonest gain? Jeremiah said the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I don't think we know the depths of the sinfulness of our own heart, but when God tells us about our heart, we need to believe it. And when it comes to David here, who, of course, had access to wealth, he still understood and is praying along these lines that that would not become his goal or his focus in life. Paul, in his teaching in Colossians chapter 3, you know these verses. He says, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Covetousness, a desire for more, which our world, of course, is wrapped up in. And so would we be were it not for the grace of God and his salvation. But there's still the temptation for all of us to pursue that. This word that's translated gain here, it's dishonest gain. You can see that word is in italics. It's not an adjective in the original, but that's the idea. If you trace that word gain in different places, Exodus 18.21, the judges of Israel were to hate gain in that sense. The idea of bribes that would color their judgment and turn it away from God's righteousness. It's 1 Samuel 8, 3 that speaks of Samuel's sons who turned aside after this kind of gain. Proverbs 1, 9 speaks of the same thing where there are those who commit acts of violence to gain. Covetousness that motivates them to act and harm others. Isaiah 33, verses 15 through 17, describe godliness, which rejects that kind of unjust gain. David's not exempt from it. Neither are you or I. 
He asks God to bend his heart that way, not towards gain. If your heart is bent towards gain, what does Paul say in another place? The love of money is the root of all evil. You start to pursue that in your life. You make that your idol, and then you're doing whatever you can to get that. That's not the way of Christ. That's not the way of light. Paul says in Ephesians, immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this, you know, with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, and covetousness is one of them, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, Paul says, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Don't pursue gain. Pursue God and pursue godliness. Godliness with contentment is what? It's great gain. That's the kind of gain we need to be seeking for. So David here, understanding the wickedness of his own heart, the bend of his own heart, then if you find even in in that brief touching upon that, if you find your desires wrestling with that, what can you do about it? Well, renew your mind about what's truly valuable, but also pray about it. Ask the Lord, Lord, teach me. Incline my heart to your testimonies, to your word, to the teaching of scripture so that I might live my life and be able to come and stand before you one day and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Is that what you're serving, the Lord? Or are you serving mammon? You can't serve both. Can't serve both. Look at the next verse, verse 37. He says, turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. This is a petition for heavenly vision and you could say heavenly vitality. Revive, give me life in your ways. But this prayer, turn away my eyes from looking at vanity is a godly prayer. It's a prayer that reflects a desire for God to have your whole heart, because sometimes it's really just what our eyes see that then our heart pursues. Charles Bridges said, keeping the eye is a grand means of keeping the heart. Satan has so infused his poison into all the objects around us that all furnish fuel for temptation and the heart naturally inclined to evil and hankering after vanity is stolen away in a moment. Potential of looking at something worthless is that I will value that which is worthless and I will pursue that which is worthless. That's why God even told the children of Israel to make a tassel on their garments so that they would not pursue what was worthless. He said, it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord so as to do them and not follow after your own heart and your own eyes. So that if their eyes saw something, there also would be something within eyesight that would remind them of God's commandments. That 
tassel of blue. Job said in Job 31.7, if my step has turned from the way or my heart followed my eyes, he knew the danger of his heart pursuing his, what his eyes were looking at. What should our eyes be looking at? Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Again, the focus is on God's word and the corresponding ways that he directs us in. But ultimately, it's looking to the Lord. It is asked, Bridges goes on to say, what will most effectually turn my eyes away from vanity? Not the seclusion of contemplative retirement, not the relinquishment of our lawful connection with the world, but the transcendent beauty of Jesus unveiled to our eyes and fixing our hearts. This will turn our eyes from vanity in its most glittering forms. The sight of the pearl of great price dims the luster of the goodliest pearls of earth. It once deadens us to the enticements of the world and urges us forward in the pursuit of the prize. And is this not our object? It is not enough that through special mercy I'm preserved from temptations. I want to be quickened to more life, energy, uh, delight, and devotedness in the way of my God. You ever heard of Vanity Fair? Not the magazine, but the Vanity Fair that John Bunyan wrote about. This fair, Bunyan said, is no new erected business, but a thing of ancient standing. I will show you the original of it. Almost 5,000 years ago, there were pilgrims walking to the celestial city. As these two honest persons are, and Beelzebub, Apollyon, and Legion, with their companions, perceiving by the path that the pilgrims made, that their way to the city laid through this town of vanity, they contrived here to set up a fair. Fair wherein should be sold all sorts of vanity, and that it should last all the year long. Therefore, at this fair are such merchandise sold as houses, lands, trades, places, honors, preferments, titles, countries, kingdoms, lusts, pleasures, and delights of all sorts, as harlots, wives, husbands, children, masters, servants, lives, blood, bodies, souls, silver, gold, pearls, precious stones, and whatnot. Moreover, at this fair, there is at all times to be seen jugglings, cheats, games, plays, fools, apes, knaves, and rogues, and that of every kind. Here to be seen, too, and that for nothing, thefts, murders, adulteries, false swears, and that of a blood-red color. There's all sorts of vanity. All sorts of it. You know, the Prince of Princess, Bunyan said, went through that fair. Prince of Princes himself, when here, went through this town to his own country, and that upon a fair day too. Yet, yea, and as I think, it was Beelzebub, the chief lord of this fair, that invited him to buy of his vanities. Yea, would have made him lord of the fair, would he have but done him reverence as he went through the town. Yea, because he was such a person of honor, Beelzebub had him from street to street, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a little time, that he might, if possible, allure that blessed one to cheapen and buy some of his vanities. I love this line, but he had no mind to the merchandise, and therefore left the town, 
without laying out so much as one farthing on these vanities. That's our Lord. Are we following in that path? What about the pilgrims that followed the Prince of Princes? Bunyan says, first, the pilgrims were clothed with such kind of raiment as was diverse from the raiment of any that traded in the fair. The people, therefore, of the fair made a great gazing upon them. Some said they were fools, some they were bedlams, and some that they were outlandish men. Secondly, and as they wondered at their apparel, so they likewise at their speech, for few could understand what they said. They naturally spoke the language of Canaan, but they that kept the fair were the men of this world, so that from the one end of the fair to the other, they seemed barbarians to the, each to the other. Thirdly, but that which did not a little amuse the merchandisers was that these pilgrims set very light by all their wares. In other words, they didn't really think much of these wares. They care not so much as to look upon them. And if they called upon them to buy, they would put their fingers in their ears and cry, turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity and look upward, signifying that their trade and traffic was in heaven. What did Jesus say? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on the earth. One chanced mockingly, beholding the carriage of the men, to say unto them, What will ye buy? But they, looking gravely upon him, said, Proverbs 23, 23, We buy the truth. To buy something means to value it. What do we value? Do we value the things of heaven? Are we laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven or are we laying up for ourselves treasures upon this earth where what happens to it? Moth and rust corrupts. Even the humidifier this afternoon that's throwing out a switch and I can't figure out, or the dehumidifier rather, that's throwing out a switch, can't figure out what's wrong with it. It's, it's probably broken. That's what happens to stuff in this world. Eventually, it's going to burn up. You're going to amass that for yourself? Or maybe maybe it's not that. Maybe it's a name for yourself. You're going to amass a name for yourself? There's all sorts of things that we can pursue. And I, I think it's, it's worth asking the question. We'll stop on this question and continue here next week. But what do you spend time looking at that you think is of worth, but it's actually vanity? What do you spend time looking at or think is of worth that's actually vanity? Can you evaluate your life? Can you ask the Lord to help me evaluate my life, Lord? Help me to pursue not vanity, but things that are of true worth, things that are of eternal weight and consequence. Things that result not in earthly honors, but eternal rewards. This is a really a great prayer. After you've sinned against the Lord, and we all do, when you've gone your own way and failed, pray. Lord, 
turn away my eyes from looking at vanity. And the end of the verse, revive me in your ways, put me back on the path and give me vitality to do your will, your ways, not my own. That's really the mindset of a servant, which is what David is. It's what he says in the next verse, that he's the servant of the Lord. A servant does the will of the master. This isn't about me. It's about the Lord. May the Lord help us to pray these prayers. These are prayers you can just take out and start to pray. And if there's something that really touched your heart in this section, something that the Lord convicted you about, make that verse, make that prayer a part of your prayer life this week. Call upon the Lord and ask him to do a sanctifying work. He delights to answer those kinds of prayers. Praise the Lord. The song that we're going to sing here at the end is a prayer of dependence, which is really what we need to do when we think about our life. It's number 600. Turn there if you would. Let's stand together and sing. We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. Number 600, let's sing it together. <laughs>